Hello everyone and welcome back to the 13th episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast, where we dive deeper into every horror book and movie for a closer look at their bone-chilling anatomy. I am Avery, your Queerfully Fearfully host. If you're just joining us, welcome to Camp Unbound and Rewound. Last week, we had the hosts of the Horror, Cult, Trash, Other podcast join us by the fire for a discussion on Blumhouse's They Slash Them. It was a roast session for sure, but the s'mores weren't the only thing under fire. Of course, phones aren't allowed at camp, but I'll allow it if you need to catch up. That episode is live and waiting for your ears. We're in the last week of summer camp, so this week's movie is a great one to wrap up the summer with. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Your Horror Podcast for the latest horror content and podcast updates, such as what to expect for every new episode. This is the last episode of season four, and what a crazy season it has been, y'all. 200 new listeners have joined us over the last three months. 200 new ears. Well, technically, that'd be, what, 400 new ears? Because everybody has two pairs of ears, unless you only have one. Um, yeah, either way, I, wow, I'm so happy that we have new friends amongst us, new horror fiends. Um, I honestly feel like we need some sort of name you know we need some sort of group name so that i can refer to you all as that said group name now i'm not saying this is a fandom but if it were what would our name be (laughs) and i promise i'm not gonna get mad at y'all like doji cat is getting mad at her fans for calling themselves kittens although i i think that also is a very strange name but um whatever you all come up with you know chat amongst yourselves about it and let me know you know loop me in um but yeah 200 new listeners and it's so crazy um because i honestly i set a goal for this year at the very beginning of this year i set a goal to gain my pod or like to grow my podcast by a hundred listeners and I have well exceeded that and we're only I mean we're a little over halfway through the year but I've achieved that thank you all so much for trusting me to guide you through the horror world through you know the cinematic universe of horror and listening to me and supporting me um, I had amazing guests join me to talk about their favorite movies, Bomani J. Story, Leia De Leon Hayes, um, of course, my two guests from last week. I've had my friends Nellie and Noah return to the podcast, and we also had Michael at the very beginning. And it's just been it's been a great season full of wonderful guests. And on top of all of it, I became a Fangoria affiliate, something that I set my sights on back in April. I said, I will be this. I will do this. And here I am. I'll definitely say this season was a turning point for the podcast, and I'm truly so excited for the next. I do feel like I say that every last episode I have, but I always mean it from the very bottom of my heart. Next season, I'm planning to rearrange the structure of the podcast just a bit. If you've been with me for a while, you know I'm very prone to change. The last thing I want to do is stop the podcast completely. I hate when I find a new podcast and I'm like, oh, this is so great. This is exactly what I've been looking for. And then I learn that they've stopped posting podcast episodes last year. It was It's the worst feeling. One of the reasons why I actually started my podcast. So the last thing I want to do is be that podcast, but life has gotten so busy since I first started. When I first started, I was working two jobs straight out of college, and I was looking for a way to just fuel my love for movies and books. I would go to my snap to like my Snapchat private story, and I would just 
talk about the movies I watched and I would just rant about them just like I do on here I would just talk about them and talk about them and I'm like "Mm, I'm doing this on snapchat when I could just be making a podcast out of it and uh, since then I've moved to New York and started working full-time so I just need to make a few adjustments in order to continue to do what I love to give you all content to to serve you all as best as I can. Next season, I will be testing out bi-weekly episodes. In between each episode, I want to release a cute little newsletter with an episode recap and other fun horror content. I'll drop my Substack link below for y'all to sign up, and I really do hope the structure works out. I know like weekly episodes honestly is a lot. And I've also come to learn that weekly episodes is something that people do when this is their job. (laughs) And I'm not at that point just yet. So, I will be reeling it back. But I'm really excited for the newsletter because I think I can make it very, very cute. You know, it's going to include recaps of the episodes. It's going to include like small little reviews of what I've been watching or news about like new shows that came out and what to expect for the next episode and stuff like that like it will really be what we talk about in every episode but just in a newsletter form and I think this way I will be able to produce more like social content which I'm looking forward to and I think it'll also give me room to do a bonus episode if I truly am feeling like it. I do think that when October comes I will be wanting to do some bonus episodes but October is a long way away however we know I just tend to go overboard when it comes to Halloween. I do hope that you all decide to sign up for my Substack newsletter. I'm testing it all out. I don't know how it works quite yet, but you will be hearing from me very, very soon, and that link will be in the show notes below, so make sure you check it out. Before we get into this week's movie, what are we streaming, reading, and watching? Um, I actually have not been watching anything recently. I I mean, I watched Friday the 13th twice. I've really been watching Jersey Shore. Listen, y'all, um, I have multiple fix... I have... No, I don't have multiple fixations, but I have a handful of fixations. And most of them are horror, but there are a few that are not. And one of them is Jersey Shore. Love Jersey Shore. I... I know there's zodiac signs. <laughs> That's bad. I should not admit that. I know there's zodiac signs. Um, I love watching them. It's so fun. I feel like I'm just a part of their little crew, but like a fly on the wall kind of thing. It's just so fun. It's so fun to be in their drama because you know what? White people drama is the best kind of drama. And I know that it's mostly staged. Like, I know that it's like, oh, this happened, so you need to bring it up. And then, like, you know, Angelina will bring it up in the worst possible way ever. And then, boom, drama. And I'm going to eat it up every single time. And it's just so good. But I also love how I'm, I'm a sucker for, for longevity. You know, I love seeing a friendship just just like sustain and grow over time and it's just so crazy to watch older episodes of Jersey Shore where they literally do not know each other like Nicole Snooky, they did not even like her when she first came into the house and now love her they are so excited every time she shows up um Wow, Jenny like she she was a force to be reckoned with and now she still has that energy but like she's a mom now so it's like that that energy is dormant until it needs to absolutely come out and she will bring it out when it needs to come out anyways uh yeah love jersey shore and that's all i've been watching recently because paramount plus really tried to play me 
um so i have to cancel my subscription with them and so i'm just trying to binge all of the jersey shore i can before the new season comes out and before my subscription ends um so that, yeah that's all i've been watching i haven't watched any more of the horrors of dolores roach they clone tyrone just came out on netflix i heard it's really really good haven't had the time to watch it but i really do want to watch it and I will, of course, let you all know what I think on Letterboxd or Instagram or TikTok, whichever I decide to post about it on. Barbie movie? Hello? If you have not seen the Barbie movie yet, uh, by the time you're listening to this, I will have watched it twice already. I, that movie, listen, I don't, I'm not going to put it as my top four on Letterboxd, but I will be adding it to my list of more than four. I do have that list. It is on my letterbox and it is, it, it's comprising all of the movies that I would list as my favorite if letterbox lets you list more than four. <laughs> um, and because it, it was, it was so great. There were so many little things about it that just really made it a great movie. Soundtrack, perfect. Colors, perfect. Dialogue, perfect. Outfits, amazing ryan gosling great margot robbie <laughs> amazing america ferrera perfect wow oh my gosh Issa Rae, oh wow like i i i perfect movie perfect summer movie summer blockbuster it's cinema is back y'all cinema is back and does it get any better than this? I do not know. But if you have not yet seen it, go see it. Go see it. Do not listen to what Fox News is telling you. <laughs> do not listen to what Fox News is telling you, okay? Wait, you know what? Actually, yes. Listen to what Fox News is telling you. It is anti-men, and that is why you should watch it. No, really though, it was a great movie. Uh, made the girls cry made the girls cry and go home and contemplate a lot of things so yeah i hope you all have plans to go see it maybe do a barbenheimer double feature i didn't do it because i you know it was fun to participate in the memes the barbenheimer memes were fun until they weren't and i got bored of pretending to care about oppenheimer i'm sorry i said it it's time for the truth to come out the truth had to come out eventually. So, yeah, maybe you do a double feature. Make sure you have a little snack break in between. You know, go get go get yourself a drink, a little a little bev, a little sweet treat. And then and then come back for Barbie or Oppenheimer. I suggest you see Barbie first. Or maybe you see Oppenheimer first and then you I don't know. It depends. It depends what you're looking for. You know, if you're looking to end the day on a good note, see Barbie last. If you're looking to end the day on a bad note, watch our watch Oppen Oop, Oppenheimer last. You know, it's whatever you fancy. Let's get into this 13th episode. It would not. I would be failing you all if I did not take the opportunity this 13th episode to talk about none other than Friday the 13th hello we have summer we have camp we have the 13th episode it is friday the 13th and it's about time i talk about it too because i don't talk about classic horror movies very often i feel like i talked about halloween but that was because the halloween was coming out last year um and scream i talk about scream because well scream came out and any other classic horror movies I haven't really touched on. So it's about time. Friday the 13th is directed by Sean S. Cunningham. Its runtime is an hour and 35 minutes. You know, those older movies we love, they knew not to extend that hour and 30 time limit. It was released May 9th of 1980. And it's starring Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Harry Crosby, and Kevin Bacon. With a budget of $550,000, it made $59.8 in the box office. 
The tentative title was A Long Night at Camp Blood, which the characters do make reference to throughout the film. However, Sean S. Cunningham um, pitched that it be named Friday the 13th instead, though I couldn't find necessarily why with like just a quick search. I have a feeling it's probably because the camp is known to be like this bad luck charm kind of thing. People always die there, so it's like, oh, it's bad luck. And like, it takes place on Friday the 13th, so it's like, ooh, Friday the 13th. It is often considered the offspring of Halloween. When Friday the 13th is in conversation, so is Halloween, if you watch documentaries or whatever the case is. And this is because, coming off of his previous project, The Last House on the Left with Wes Craven, Cunningham wanted to direct something that would distance himself from that film. After seeing John Carpenter's Halloween, he wanted his next one to have similar attributes. He wanted it to be visually stunning. He wanted it to be jarring. He wanted it to be a roller coaster ride. The filming took place in New Jersey over the summer of 1979, and it entered a bidding war over distribution rights. Warner Brothers acquired the international distribution rights, while Paramount Pictures won the domestic distribution rights. It was the first independent slasher film to be acquired by a major motion picture studio. And in all of this research, with the current SAG-AFTRA WGA strike, I was prepared to use this episode as an opportunity to discuss it based off of the production studio that produced Friday the 13th. But it really did surprise me to find that it was an indie movie. I was like, oh my gosh. But then it all makes sense in the end. It, yeah, it all adds up. Um, so as I go into these general notes that I have and then my likes and dislikes, there are just, there are spoilers thrown throughout this discussion. Um, and so I will let you know that now in case you want to click off. However, you listen, it has been long enough. Okay. It has been quite long enough. This movie has been out like this movie is older than me. So if you have not seen it yet, or at least if you don't know enough about it to listen to this full episode without it being spoiled, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, no tea, no shade, but I'm just saying, if you haven't seen it yet, you don't want it to be spoiled, now would be your time to click off. I won't be upset with you, but I will be a little salty. If you have seen it or you don't care for it to be spoiled... I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you are caught up with the times, you know. Um, we are in the 21st century. <laughs> and, and we have come a long way since this movie has been released. So I'm glad that you are caught up with your classic horror movies. No tea, no shade. Like I said, no tea, no shade. But, um, yeah, let's just dive right into it, shall we? I want to start off this discussion by saying that something that I've noticed with most slasher films like Friday the 13th and Halloween is that the killing takes place over the course of one night, which, you know what, okay, it makes sense. It makes sense. Friday the 13th is one day. Halloween is one day. I get it. But that does make movies like Nightmare on Elm Street and Sleepaway Camp stand out because the tension and suspense are slowly built instead of just like a super fast-paced movie. That all comes down to really what you are just looking for out of a movie. Um, I like both, but I mentioned Sleepaway Camp because in my Sleepaway Camp episode, I had that whole conversation about, you know, people comparing Sleepaway Camp and Friday the 13th. So, though I don't really talk about Sleepaway Camp too much in this episode, I, I think, you know, if you want to just have it in the back of your mind, maybe check out the episode. If you haven't, check it out after this and uh, see what you think. See which one's better because I definitely have my opinions on it after watching Friday the 13th. But what I will compare in this episode is Halloween and Friday the 13th. Not too extensively, but I did want to point out some things that I felt were necessary. So, the opening scene in Friday the 13th is very similar to that of Halloween in 1978. 
The point of view shot watching this group of counselors is comparable to that of Michael spying on his sister in the opening of Halloween. The same thing happens when two counselors wander off to have sex. You know that something is bound to happen because of the scoring in the scene as well. And like, you know, I'm watching it and block to block, it feels just the same as Halloween. The point of view shot is big in this film and it's used to build tension. It's used several times in the beginning of the film for various reasons. However, when you get to Annie's death scene, the fact that you can't see the driver, the scene is from the driver's perspective, it raises suspicion. Because you also have the scene where she gets in the into the truck with, you know, the trucker. And it's from both of their point of views. You see from Annie's point of view, you see from the trucker's point of view. But when she gets in the second car, you only see from the driver's point of view. Obviously concealing the identity of whoever's driving. So it's like, mm, I feel like something's not right here. I don't recall this happening in Halloween, but they do switch the point of view camera um, or the point of view shot to be the victim instead of the assaulter when Mrs. Voorhees is attacking Alice, which I thought was cool because I, I mean, I'm sure that it, it definitely has been used as of recent, you know, like it, it's definitely a shot that is used now. But at the time, especially when it's compared to Halloween, you know, I don't recall a shot similar to that. So it was cool to see because like Annie was laying, not Annie, because Alice was laying on her back looking up at Mrs. Voorhees trying to like fight her off and Mrs. Voorhees was standing over top of her. So it was a very, it was a very like stressful moment for the viewer. When I first discovered Fangoria's magazines, I was a kid in the adult section of the bookshop. Since 1979, Fangoria has been the authority in the world of contemporary horror. What started as a print media company has since become a one-stop shop for horror merch and now a production studio. For being a Your Horror listener, you can stock up on your horror needs or start your magazine subscription with code YourHorrorPodcast or by clicking the link in the show notes below. Get 20% off store-wide with code YourHorrorPodcast. Now back to the episode. In addition to the opening scene of Friday the 13th and the point of view shot, um, the movie opens up with this subtitle card just kind of introducing the setting. The very first scene that you have is of counselors in this room by the fire singing church hymns. <laughs> um, and I, I thought it was interesting because... And I thought it was an interesting choice of blocking because the two counselors wander off to have sex. I was kind of questioning, was this something that summer camps often did? Were they primarily Christian ran? Uh, this also kind of sheds light on Cunningham's intention in terms of why the kids are killed. You know, most slashers focus on morality and this scene could be seen as hypocritical at the time. However, you come to learn that everyone has a target on their head, whether they're thoughtin' and boppin' or not. So it kind of does challenge that idea of morality when it comes to horror movies, slasher specifically. This movie is heavy with negative talk against kids and teens, I feel like most slashers are anyways, especially because it's just the like it's just the time that the films were made between the 60s and 90s. Teen teenagers were just looked as these big nuisances to society, which they still are today, but there were other things going on within society and like within politics that also caused these sorts of attitudes to occur amongst adults towards kids. The flower child movement began in the late 60s as protests and tensions against the Vietnam War heightened. This lifestyle and attitude was largely amongst the younger generation and it carried left-leaning political views. So naturally, older people who largely held right-leaning views began to view the younger generations as beneath them. 
especially as drug use heightened with the hippie culture. This carried into the 70s, and the rest is history. In Friday the 13th, we have two major examples of this. Um, Annie, as she's sitting in the truck with the trucker, and he's telling her that that she needs to quit her job. The camp has a very bad history. And Annie's like, I... I can't quit my job like I can't she's also talking about how like she cares about these kids and the trucker is telling her that she's dumb and is calling all the kids like she he was like you're just like my nieces you're all just dumb with your heads full of rocks and she was like well at least I don't believe in ghosts which is like I I mean his superstitions aren't necessarily a paranormal superstition but whatever anyways still yeah it's just this idea of like when kids don't listen to older people about anything then it's like you're just dumb you don't you don't have no sense because you're not listening to me i'm older i'm wiser and you're dumb right okay another instance of this kind of like um intolerance for kids a cop comes to visit the campsite and he's looking for ralph who's like the town weirdo and this cop immediately comes at the counselors with an attitude before he leaves he says we won't stand for weirdness around here when they're literally they're just kids being kids you know and he automatically assumes that they have drugs too i mean and like ned comes out with this very offensive indigenous headdress and like diaper and he's like making you know the stereotypical very very problematic noises that people often think indigenous people make it's been addressed as to that scene being a little wrong (laughs) but like at the end of the day they're not i mean kids are just weird kids are weird that's just what it is but it's like you you're gonna criminalize being weird now okay and i mentioned in the beginning when i was talking a little bit about the production of the movie that it is an independent movie and so with that you have an independent budget and when you put it into perspective that they were working with a small budget the quality of this movie makes sense the film is rather dark and you know at nighttime but also when they're indoors it is a little bit like gloomy i guess you could say but that's mainly a budgeting thing their money was was stretched thin so they had to work with what they got the um set the set director set designer asked for more lighting but he was denied because they ran out of money on top of the set design the sound design also struggled with this budgeting thing um the composer for the friday the 13th track was a close friend of sean s cunningham's and he only had enough money to create the scoring in a friend's basement but this scoring the composition for this film is historical within horror and even maybe cinema as a whole it's become one of the most recognized scores similar to psycho you know people don't even necessarily have to know friday the 13th have to have watched friday the 13th to to know the like it's just it's just a thing like you just know it and that's what i call that now that is iconic The timing for the sound design is perfect throughout the movie, but especially towards the end. The end twist is one that comes out of nowhere because you believe Jason is dead and that Mrs. Voorhees is just mentally ill. So when he jumps out of the lake, you're left with so many questions and the scoring in this scene particularly, it's it's soft and it's a little triumphant, right? Because... Alice just defeated Mrs. Voorhees and she's waiting to be saved and now it's light outside and that's the thing is like all of this happens during the nighttime so you think that that once it's light out again the evil will stop everything that was bad is now like done this triumphant music makes you feel like things are over and that the final girl is safe 
And then out of nowhere, Jason jumps and you get that same scoring from before when Mrs. Voorhees was terrorizing the counselors. And so it's just, and it throws you off guard, especially because for, yeah, you think Jason is dead. So you're like, who was this kid? <laughs> Why is this kid alive? And actually, this scene wasn't even planned. It wasn't even in the final script, but I think it was Tom Savini who had recently watched Carrie and proposed it. It was also like, it's this big thing where different people are tr like try to take claim over whose idea it was. Like Tom Savini had the original idea but then someone else had the idea to make Jason um, disabled, but then another person had the idea of him jumping out of the lake, something like that. But it's just like, it's just men and egos, you know? It's just the male ego. They all want to take credit for it, and it's like, why can't you just share it? You just share the share the credit. It's okay. Um, it did take three tries to film, though. So, I... I, Adrian King, wow, <laughs> you know what, she, she, she gets her flowers. The biggest thing about this movie, the biggest thing that stands out to most people for this movie, besides the ending, because the ending is iconic, is the gore. A significant number of reviews criticized the film for its depiction of violence. Some reviewer, don't know who it is, some reviewer said, that it's a gory cardboard thriller. That younger viewers made it a box office juggernaut is one more clue as to why SAT scores keep declining. Still, any movie that spawns this many sequels must have done something right. Which is crazy. You're telling me that Friday the 13th is making me stupid? I highly doubt it. <laughs> I think there's a lot of other things that are making me stupid, and Friday the 13th is not one. The problematic gore wasn't just inflicted on the cast either. Actually, one of the most problematic, most controversial gory scenes involves an animal. Alice finds a snake in her cabin and calls the others to come help her. Bill runs in with a machete, and after everyone tears the room apart trying to find the snake, he chops it up. For a while, no one knew whether it was a real snake or not. However, in recent years, it's been revealed that it was an improvised scene after horror effects specialist Tom Savini had the same experience in his own cabin. The snake was brought on set by a handler who is said to have actually had no idea what would happen. He apparently had to be held back by the crew as he became distraught. And this was before you had, like, animal rights organizations like PETA to, to advise scenes like this and to ensure animal safety on sets. And it's kind of like, um, I think it was in my Midsummer episode where I discussed um, the cannibal holocaust and the use of real animals in there. And more movies than you would think had to settle lawsuits or like just had controversial involvements with animal violence in the making of their movies. I like the gore of this movie minus the snake. Um, I'm not one who watches movies for gore. I mean, I, and it's not that I shy away from gore. It's not that I don't like it. I just don't think a movie necessarily has to have it in order to be good. Um, but I feel like the gore in this one was well delivered. It wasn't too much, but it wasn't too little. It actually took me by surprise only because movies at this time weren't usually known to have gore. But Tom, that Tom Savini is the goat of horror effects. If you look at his, like, at, at his IMDb, if you look at his resume, like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Almost every horror movie you know, he had a hand in it. Yeah, like all of the all of the classic horror movies that you he did a handful of Friday the Thirteenth too. I don't think he's done all of them, but he's done a handful of them. Maybe I lied about him being in a handful of Friday the Thirteenth, but he's still like he is. He's known. Okay, <laughs> his name means many things. I'm moving away from my general notes. Uh. 
to start discussing my likes because I have a lot of likes and I have a number of dislikes so I'm excited to get into these because I okay listen <laughs> after watching Friday the 13th I realized I like sleepaway camp I like it better than Friday the 13th I must say and no it's not just because it is a, a gay movie it's not I just it actually is more interesting like it can hold my attention I can watch it multiple times and have a good time Friday the 13th I get bored sorry to the sorry to the Jason stands out there sorry for the Friday the 13th stands out there I I do think Friday the 13th gets better and I you know what and maybe that is because I associate Friday the 13th with Jason Voorhees and not Pamela Voorhees and that's the thing about the first one is that it wasn't you know it was never going to be Jason Jason was supposed to be dead and stay dead and the original screenwriter was really upset when the filmmakers decided to make Jason Voorhees the killer in all of the sequels and it was really cool to have a mother be the person who was killing in the first one but like I yeah I th I like a slasher icon Jason slasher icon and I like the like Jason Takes Manhattan that is a good movie that is a good movie that I can rewatch. I cannot watch rewatch Friday the 13th. Anyways, yeah, that being said, I realized that I do like Sleepaway Camp better, but there are things about Friday the 13th that I do admire. Um, so, for one, I like how Annie, the character we're introduced to first, isn't even the protagonist. So, when the rest of the counselors are talking about how the quote-unquote cook never showed up, you become confused because you've been following her up until this point of the film and you're like okay but where'd she go um and it, it is very similar to psycho when janet lee is seemingly the protagonist when all along she is the first to die i also like the reveal of ned's corpse after he dies up until then you kind of forget about him and then the lightning hits and the light from the lightning shines on him laying above the two counselors as they're thought and bopping. And now you know something that the characters don't and you're anticipating for when they find out. I love when movies build, build like tension that way. It's like they let you in on a little secret and you're just waiting for the moment that like that, that something hits, something strikes it just it makes the watching experience so much more fun and so in comparison to halloween um alice isn't like a quote-unquote pure virginal final girl like laurie and other horror movies following friday the 13th's release she smokes and drinks and she isn't afraid to take off her clothes during their game of monopoly However, the door does swing open just as she's about to take off her clothes, so it feels like a loophole saving her from getting nude despite her willingness to. As I had said before, this, this instance also kind of sheds light on Cunningham's intention uh, in terms of why the kids are killed. With the, with the whole morality thing within slashers, you get the horror trope surrounding sex and paraphernalia. However, because the camp is introduced to be a place of doom and bad luck, you come to understand that they really can't avoid death by being pure or morally good. They are going to die regardless. I also, of course, Sean S. Cunningham wanted to, to create a visually stunning movie. That is, That was his goal for this movie. And so the shot outside of the diner as it's raining, which is where Steve Christie, the camp director, like is... Um, it's just wow I love that if I could print that out if I could get that and frame it I would and maybe I will actually now that I think about it maybe I will because it is so pretty um I I anytime <laughs> anytime in a show or movie that there is an a diner and it's raining and the neon signs are just like glowing I'm going to love it just like in Nightmare on Elm Street, the 2000, I always say it's 2009, but it's actually 2010, I think. Um, in that movie, when you get the outside diner shot, yeah, 
I love that too. Wow, so beautiful. Even though that scene is very like dreary. My last like is I do like the way, and you know, some may say it's not original. I don't care. <laughs> the way that they obstruct your view from seeing who the killer is was creative. Most of the times it was with light shining directly into the camera. And like even in Hitchcock's Psycho, they do this too sometimes, especially like in the bathroom scene or the shower scene, like they, they manipulate the shadows so that though you see the outline of the figure, you don't see the face. Um, and it, it maintains that mystery of who this killer is. I think there's a level of like originality and inspiration that a movie can have. And I do think that Friday the 13th is a good example of that. It managed to do things independently while also taking from its predecessors. And that's admirable, especially on an indie budget. Yeah, I have no problems. I have no problems with it. What I, I do have a few problems with the movie overall that have nothing to do with its originality or lack thereof. <laughs> um, I think one of my biggest problems with this is like some narrative choices, but more particularly, I don't understand Steve and Alice's relationship. Their exchange seems like they aren't very well acquainted he doesn't know that she's an artist, but it seems like they've had some sort of prior relations. He asks her to give him another chance when I thought they were discussing her dislike of camping. He asks her to stay a week and help set up the place, and if she still is unhappy after, he'll send her home. And then he caresses her face before walking away. And she kind of like looks at it, not even uncomfortable, but just like, I don't know, like, confused? Um, to me, this just seemed to be a forced tension written to give the director, um, camp director that is, another layer other than being a camp director. Especially because he doesn't really show up much in the movie besides in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. And so other than, like, he serves no real purpose besides just being a camp director. Um, it goes on to make even less sense when Alice grows closer to Bill as well. Because I'm like, okay, so maybe they, maybe they are romantic partners. Or maybe, you know, they had a date the night before. And that's why he's saying give him another chance or something like that. But no, she's just really quick to grow closer to Bill. And so either she's just an infidel. <laughs> she's just, she's just committing, um... She's just having a little love affair, or it just is bad writing. Another dislike of mine, the first cop who comes to the campsite is possibly the most unbelievable cop I've ever seen in a movie. I mean, like, I think it's not even, like, take, what was it, Halloween 5? Halloween 5, for example, those were bad cops. But it, they weren't unbelievable. They were just bad. Like, they just skewed the tone of the movie. But this cop in this movie felt like just some guy who threw on a cop costume and just decided to act like a cop. Which technically is what happened. Technically, that is what happened. Just some guy threw on a cop costume, stood in front of the camera, and acted like a cop. But, like, where was the believability? You know, there was no point in which I was sold on the idea that he was a cop. And so then you pair that with the fact that he's obviously struggling to drive his motorcycle. <laughs> and it just feels like one big prank. Like, I cannot tell you, when he goes to drive off, he's supposed to look cool, right? He's like, can't leave the chief waiting. And then he puts his sunglasses on. He revs his engine. He, like skirts off but like wobbles he like wobbles as he's trying to get this bike under control and it's low-key kind of embarrassing to watch the other thing that i don't really understand and uh, this could be a nitpicky thing but at the same time it just seemed useless 
there's a scene where Brenda gets dressed in a nightgown. She lights a candlestick, like one of those old timey candlesticks that like, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge uh, lit and held when he went to bed, like those kind of candlesticks. She lights one of those before bed and then she proceeds to take that candle to her bed and open a book. But the only thing is that she's sitting under a light like there is a light fixture above her bed so what is the candlestick serving and also the nightgown and the candlestick duo don't fit like the time and the camp setting she went from wearing like a tied up button down in shorts to then wearing her bra and underwear under a raincoat and rain boots to then wearing a very long nightgown, long, long sleeved nightgown and carrying a candlestick. All she was missing was the nightcap. That's all she was missing. I don't know. I just, it felt a little out of place to me, I think. It's, it was really not that big of a deal, but every time I do see it, I'm like, okay, I don't, why is this here? Why am I watching this? Um, but those are all of my likes and dislikes and comments and everything on this movie. I, it was nice to watch, you know, cause I haven't watched it in a while. I usually only watch it during like Halloween because there are Friday the 13th reruns that come on or not reruns, but like, uh, marathons. And so like, I'll watch them then. But if I have to choose a Friday the 13th movie to watch, it is never the original. Um, it will be the 2010 one, because I really do enjoy that one. Or it'll be the... I love Freddy vs. Jason. I mean, I don't know if that really counts as, like, a Friday the 13th movie. I think it does, because it takes place... Uh, I, I count it. I count it. I enjoy that one. And I also enjoy Jason Takes Manhattan, because that one's fun. Jason X, I hate I hate Jason X, but yeah, I, I enjoyed, you know, watching it a little bit just to refresh my mind of what the story of Friday the 13th is and of the origins of Jason Voorhees, but this got a three, a three out of five stars on Letterboxd from me. And yeah, the verdict is in. I like Sleepaway Camp better than this. Y'all can fight me on it if you want. I don't care. I, you know, I, I have to live my truth. I have to. Um, if you want to see my rating on Letterboxd, truthfully, it's nothing special, but it's on there if you wish to see it. You can find that at AveryCOF. Also, make sure that you're following all my social medias because this next month I will be posting great, great content during my little break. And so you can find me at Your Horror Podcast because this is Your Horror Podcast, the podcast you get all your horror needs. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited to come back to you all. I have some great guests lined up for next season already. Like, <laughs> isn't this so crazy? I went from, like, struggling to find guests to now, like, people are wanting to be guests on my podcast, and it's just so, it's so great to feel like, to feel like this is a place where, where people, um, desire to talk about their, their, like, love for horror, you know, or, I don't know, I don't know what it is, like, maybe, maybe they are excited to talk to me about horror. Um, maybe it's just like what the podcast is founded on that they like feel like is a great space to talk about horror, whatever the case is. Like I, I'm so glad that people are finding my podcast and like saying, yeah, that's, this is a podcast that I would like to talk about my love for horror on. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to bring you all new content next season. Um, like I said in the beginning, make sure that you subscribe to my Substack 
so that you can stay up to date and get a little get a little horror fix between episodes next season and yeah i will keep you all updated on instagram threads as well twitter tiktok um, of what's to come next season i will be coming back in september and so do you know what that means like do you truly know what that means we got september october and november like peak holiday content and you know if you remember last year's holiday content if you remember that oh oh do i have something in store for (laughs) y'all i'm so excited also if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast you can find the guest form in the show notes as well fill that out let me know what you want to bring to the podcast and we can start planning something um as a fangoria affiliate like i mentioned in the beginning uh you can get 20 percent off any fangoria purchase they actually uh i don't think that they're doing it anymore i yeah i think it was only for 72 hours they came out with a barbie shirt like it was like fangoria but in barbie logo super cute i think i at the time that i'm recording this i don't know if i bought it (laughs) i want it i just don't know if i can get it um but make sure you check out their uh, merch shop find anything that you want and then use my code your horror podcast you get 20 percent off of your entire purchase including a magazine subscription if that is what you fancy um and i think that's all don't forget i do have an etsy shop with some podcast merch on there you can get a cool bookmark a tote bag a magnet um like little pin to put on your it's not little it's i think it's a fairly big big pin that you can like put on your backpack or tote bag or whatever the case is stickers i think that's all i do have like have a black tote bag and i have a regular canvas tote bag on there okay i think i think i plugged everything that i can (laughs) i don't know what else i could plug um but yeah thank you so much for making this season absolutely amazing such a fun time and for supporting me and and listening to me and trusting me with with you know horror reviews horror discussions and um i cannot wait to catch up with you all next season all right Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode, and I will catch you next season. Bye! Get your PhD in black cinema, sister soldier. Listen, I read my entertainment weekly, okay? I know my shit.